This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bobink. Hey everybody, welcome to Bobcast episode 5. We finally made it to the beginning of chapter 2 of the wonderful works of God. We'd make air horn noises for it if we had the budget, but we spent it all on Wilhelminas and Kings, because that's how we roll here. I'm Mark. I'm Andrew. And I'm Caleb. Let's dive in on page 8. So we begin in familiar territory. God is the highest good of man. That is the testimony of the whole scriptures. So in case in the seven pages or in the case of Bobcast, three to four weeks since we have been at the beginning of chapter one, we start right away with once again, God is the highest good of man. In case you forgot, in case you missed it the first go around. What are we talking about? Here we are again. (laughs) This is your elevator speech as a Christian. God is the highest good of man, and this is the entire testimony of Scripture. Right. So uh, I think this first full paragraph here in chapter two is the perfect starting point because it encapsulates the entire testimony of the Scriptures. This paragraph reads, The Bible begins with the account that God created man after his own image and likeness in order that we should know God, his creator, aright, that we should love him with all of our hearts and should live with him in eternal blessedness. The Bible ends with the description of the new Jerusalem, whose inhabitants shall see God face to face and shall have his name upon their foreheads. And between these two moments lies the revelation of God in all of its length and breadth. (laughs) Between these two moments of the creation of the universe and the beginning of the eternal earth, the eternal age, uh, that's the time that we're in right now. And it covers quite a large span here. And we had to... To wrestle with the issue of the fall and how that relates to the knowledge of God. Here, I think uh, we're reminded of Proverb uh, 30. The proverb reads, Surely I am the most ignorant of men, and I lack the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, and I have no knowledge of the Holy One. I have no knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is the name of his son? The first part of that paragraph is Heidelberg 6. I mean, think about this. Uh, here, Here lies the tension. What is this knowledge of God, and who can totally fully, exhaustively know God, but only God himself. And so man's knowledge of God has a limit in it, and it's limited to what God reveals about himself uh, in his word. Christ, Jesus, God with us, the God-man, as we see here in that third paragraph. And, And as its midpoint and its high point, this revelation has its Emmanuel, God with us, for the promise and its fulfillment go hand in hand. The word of God is the beginning, the principle, the seed, and it is in the act that the seed comes into its full realization, just as at the beginning God called things into being by his word, so by his word he will in the course of the ages bring into being the new heaven and the new earth in which the tabernacle of God shall be among men. He says, that is why Christ, in whom the word became flesh, is said to be full of grace and truth. John 1.14 
We also have something really important going on here. Bovink, for the first time, introduces this concept of covenant, the comprehensive promise of the covenant of grace. I will be a God unto thee, and ye shall be my people. Which, I mean, I suppose if you want to be reformed and if you want to study works of reformed theology, the first time you hear about covenant in a work of systematic theology, that's going to be kind of important. But I've always appreciated in Bovink the emphasis when he's talking about covenant the emphasis on the promise in it that binds it together the covenant of grace i will be a god unto thee and ye shall be my people because covenant is always a hotly contested issue you can find as many definitions of covenant as you find covenant theologians i think bovink's definition bovink's approach to covenant while rather simple does a very good job of making known what covenant is and what the covenant of grace is and how it works and how it unfolds throughout scripture. Absolutely. It's God who's making this declaration. I will be God and you will be my people and we will have this relationship and it's all of me. Yeah, it's right there at the end of this first page, page eight. I mean, he explains quite a lot of what's going on with the covenant here. Uh, He's God revealing himself and God sharing himself and therefore he is full of truth and also full of grace. Uh, Jump into page nine there. Uh, It's a word of promise. God is a God who speaks, but also acts. I will be a God unto thee, Bobby continues, included within itself from the very moment in which it was uttered, the fulfillment, I am thy God. It's his character. It's his nature. Who he is, is God. And he gives himself to his people in order that his people should give themselves to him. Well, and just how amazing is that to think about the all-knowing all-powerful eternal god of the universe gives himself to us Mm -hmm. doesn't that just blow your mind yeah well it's 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 unfathomable it's it's just unthinkable absolutely and how does he do this like i mean the work of the sun i i know that we wanted to touch on all the reform points that come with covenant and yes covenant is a huge thing but this is also the first time i think in the entire book that we get the second person of the trinity this is the first time in the wonderful works of god that talks about jesus christ in chapter one bobbing essentially underlines the issue uh man's highest good is god and we've fallen from relationship with god Here uh, is that first real explanation of this antidote. The Christian's end, the, the, the human's end, man's end isn't just salvation. It is knowledge of God. It is knowing who God is himself as he reveals himself in Christ. It's almost as if chapter one kind of presupposes the covenant of redemption, sometimes called the pactum salutis. and, And now we're getting into the covenants of works and grace. Which, if you look at Reform Dogmatics, Bovink's larger work, he does affirm the Pactum Salutis, and he has teaching about it there. So if you're interested in that, it is out there. Well, right, and, that, and that's a good point, where uh, you, you say Pactum Salutis, in which we, uh, we're saying this is uh, the eternal plan of redemption, even before anything occurred. It, it, it's intra-Trinitarian. It, it, it assumes all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and now we're mm-hmm. kind of seeing the economy of the trinity or how how the persons of the trinity work together to carry out that salvation 
Right. Yeah, all throughout history. And it's, uh, uh, Bobbing continues uh, there in uh, that second paragraph of page nine. In the scriptures, we find God constantly repeating his declaration, I am thy God. Ever since uh, right after the fall, the promise for provision of salvation through Jesus Christ, who reveals the Father, is repeated and repeated to uh, the patriarchs, to uh, the history of the people of Israel, to the church of the New Testament, right down to this very age, to this very time, right now, this promise is repeated. I shall be thy God. Right. It is action on the part of God. It is God condescending to his creation to do that. I'm reminded as we look at what chapter one said about God as man's highest good, but then this chapter getting into, well, how does this happen? How does God become our highest good? And the answer is, it is this activity on the part of God, this condescension. I'm reminded of chapter seven, paragraph one of the Westminster Confession. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of... What's the word? Seventh. There you go. So it's not just that covenant is an abstract theological concept, it's the means whereby God condescends to us. It's the means by which Christ redeems us. Yeah, and that's precisely why Christ had to come, why the Word had to become flesh uh, for the fulfillment of all these things in reconciling and redeeming fallen man to God. And therein, we learn not only the knowledge of God, but also a wholehearted trust in the Lord, in God, uh, as our highest good, as our joy, as our refuge, our strength, our savior. And there is true faith. It's, I mean, it's the the Christian life is a life, uh, as Bobbing says, third paragraph of page nine, it's a life of confession. He says this, though, in contrast, paragraph starts out, the declaration of faith on the part of the church is not a scientific doctrine, nor a form of unity that is being repeated, but is rather a confession of a deeply felt reality and of a conviction of reality that has come up out of experience in life. It's not that knowledge. I mean, all that stuff that we just read about knowledge at the end of chapter one, where it can fall victim to the depraved heart. Like, how many Christians do we know that have this scientific knowledge of the doctrines of God? I had I had a teacher uh, back in, in Grand Rapids, Dr. Felch, and he, he was the first one that ever introduced this term to me, but the term cubit syndrome. You know, how long is a cubit? About 18 inches. Yeah, you missed it by about 18 inches. That's the difference between the that's difference in length between your head and your heart. Um, you know, this kind of knowledge can go the same way. If God becomes an intellectual pursuit, if he becomes a way through which we can show our mastery of one topic, you know, you can insert any other topic there. If it's not about that covenantal relationship with God, you're missing the mark. And that's, that's just the thing. Um, 
there in the middle of that paragraph we were just looking at in the middle of page nine, Bobbing points out the prophets, the apostles, the saints of the church, uh, those who've come before us, those who come after us, we're, we're not to just sit and philosophize about God and abstract concepts. Here, here at Bobcast, we like theology. We very much like theology. <laughs> we love it. We do? Usually. <laughs> when it's not on an exam. When it's not on an exam, we absolutely love it. But theology is a knowledge of God. And here we're seeing this knowledge of God must lead, or rather I should say, it must have its grounding in faith. Absolutely. You know, later on in that same paragraph, he said, God was for them not at all a cold concept, which they then proceeded rationally to analyze. But he was a living personal force, a reality infinitely more real than the world around them. I mean, like you like you pointed out rightly earlier, like just think about the fact that God deigned himself to have a relationship with us. Uh, we get to have a living personal relationship with the creator of all things right just let that sink in for a minute that's like like can you feel the weight of that this is huge well that and it's deeply personal it's savingly personal Uh, it also reconciles us with others with our neighbors right right absolutely i really appreciate this coming from someone like herman bovink who was a scholar of scholars i mean he's one of the greatest scholars of theology that has ever lived and i mean if anybody had the tools had the skills to be head in the clouds and speculating about the things of god it was him and yet here he has given us this very pastoral work that is very careful to remind us that all of this is for naught if it doesn't stir doxology, if it doesn't stir praise in our hearts and a love for God. Amen. It's what you touched on earlier with this God who condescends against all rationality, against anything we can fathom and conceive, like how remarkable this is, that while man has sinned against God and severed his relationship and lives in rebellion to him, this God makes promise to man and he even comes down and uh, in, in the case of, uh, of of Israel dwells in their tents. He dwells in their temples, and then he dwells walking on the earth as the God man Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, dying on the cross for our behalf. Absolutely. You know, that that last paragraph there on, on page nine, the genuineness and depth of their experience comes to expression in the language they use to express what God meant to them. They did not have to strain for words, for their lips overflowed with what welled up out of their hearts, and the world of man and nature supplied them with figures of speech. You know, the, the, the question I have in my margins here in my book is how do we speak of God today? Are, are these figures of speech, are, are these wonderful words dripping from our lips? Do we, do we have this relationship with our creator God, with our savior that allow us to speak about him in this way? Well, and I think the sad answer to that question for many people is is no, they wouldn't. I mean, you ask a lot of people what they think about God. We live in the age of, you know, moralistic, therapeutic deism. God is just some far off figure who basically put me here and then left me to my own devices. I can call on him to help me out if I need it. And it's like, no, he's so much more. 
He has come, he has given himself to us. He desires this intimate relationship, this intimate communion with us and and with the saints. It's not some shallow, superficial thing. Yeah. Sure. Well, that wraps up in another exciting episode of Bobcast. Thank you again for joining us. We hope you found this to be edifying. This is us reminding you to eat smocklick and tote zines. Valtristen. Magazines. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobcast. That's B-A-V-Cast. You can email us at bobcast at gmail.com. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Visit reformedpodcast.com or subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you.